Kia ora. Good afternoon. The panel are NZ National. Well, if you're a fan of rugby, what a time to be alive. Fiji lit up the Rugby World Cup with their first win over Australia for 69 years. A thoroughly deserved 22-15 victory. That blue pool sea wide open left the twice world champion Wallabies shell-shocked and absolute scenes at Mount Smart in Auckland before a capacity 26,000. The Warriors are just a solitary win away from the NRL Grand Final after downing Newcastle nice 40-10. And just briefly, I just wanted to get a feel of actually what it was like at the ground there. Matt, he was sitting amongst the 26,000 punters. Matt, welcome to the panel. Hi, good, good afternoon. Great to have you here, Matt. Describe the feeling for us. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was an epic atmosphere. It was, uh, yeah, I, I've been to a few American sport games and stuff like that, and I thought they were going to be hard to top, but uh, that definitely that definitely uh, tops those. Um, really? Yeah, walking out of the ground and hearing, you know, people, obviously first-timers saying, you know, they're addicted now and, you know, they can't wait for next season and stuff like that. Um, obviously, attend a lot of games and stuff like that. It was... Uh, the bigger the bandwagon gets, the better, I, I think. <laughs> it must have been a sense of watching New Zealand League history before your eyes, Matt. Yeah, it was. It, was, it doesn't happen very often. And, um, you know, I guess the Hardy Warriors, Warriors supporters have um, been through lots of ups and downs and mm. worn a lot of shit from their friends. And, uh, you know, just and it's just so pleasing to uh, be on the right side of the... Uh, Ledger for once. <laughs> Let's, uh, any, any of the panel watched it? David, Kate? Yeah, well, I was wondering, were there many Newcastle Knights fans there? We were, we were lucky enough to have two beside us who were pretty game to get into some banter, but they were pretty quiet um, early on. <laughs> they got quieter and quieter? Yeah, no, they were good, they were good fun, though. And uh, I think the feeling's pretty mutual. If, if your team's out of the competition now, uh, you're officially a Warrior supporter, so... Very, very cool. Do you think they have enough talent, Matt, to, uh, you know, give it to the Brisbane Broncos in next weekend's uh, preliminary final? Yeah, well, who knows? It all comes down to the the day the Broncos are young and uh, they're going to have a big crowd. But I was at the Dolphins game two weeks ago at Suncorp and it would have been 10 Warriors fans to one um, Dolphins fan. So hopefully it's a 50-50 crowd and Brisbane have the um, pressure of playing at home and you know, it's a, that club's got a lot of history, so they're going to have a lot of pressure on them. So um, hopefully that plays into our favour. Yeah. And wasn't it amazing to hear uh, the rugby league great Andrew Johns saying, you know, the Warriors do have a chance against the Broncos, but they will have to play at their finest? Yeah, I think if we can do what we did against the Knights, I'm, I'm no league expert, but when we suffocated them in that corner for 10 minutes straight, no team's getting out of that, so... If they can do that again, I think we're uh, hopefully going to Sydney. Yeah, good on you, Matt. Thanks for joining us here on the panel. No worries. Yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm really amazed. Uh, Out of the corners of Aotearoa, we are getting the most wonderful pieces of political memorabilia. Can't wait to share some of that at 25 past four. Liz says, I found an old badge that read, Be rational, vote national. And Peter says, I have a 78 record put out by Labour. There is a swing to Labour. 11 past four.
the panel. Well, the recent spotlight on migrant exploitation has thrown up some harrowing cases, and many of them workers that live in squalid conditions. Some men paying $50,000 for their work visas, scammed out of everything. And it's been revealed that the number of full-time staff monitoring migrant worker hire applications has halved. This according to a News Hub investigation. In the third quarter of last year, there were 15 full-time staff. Same time this year, seven. With us is you, Immigration Director and Immigration Advisor, Josh Kennedy. Welcome, Josh. Are you there, Josh? Can you hear me? We'll get Josh up very soon. What do you make of this uh, story, David Cormack? It seems to be um, really an ongoing issue, the way that uh, migrant workers are exploited in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's gross, right? Like, people complain every which way. They complain about too many immigrants coming in. But then the ones that we we say we do need, we we bring them in and we mistreat them and we exploit them and we effectively have slaves. Uh, And to have the number of staff who are actually in charge of regulating it be halved is really grim and to have you know both major parties touting how bigger cuts they're going to make to the public sector is gross at a time when actually the reverse should be happening and so this is something that is horrendous and it's only going to get worse and we seem to forget that each of these people are actually human beings and every human being deserves some humanity and that seems to be lost on a lot of the people involved in this. We'll come back to you and uh, Kate with us is Josh Kyrick. Josh? Can you hear us, Josh? We're having real problems with our fo- we're having real problems with our phones uh, there, uh, Kate. So we will get we'll promise to get Josh on. Kate, what do you make of this issue? Uh, makes absolutely no sense. But I, I would assume, well, I would sincerely hope that uh, whomever forms the next government that this is not a frontline. This is a frontline service, and and it's not something that will be cut. I mean, seven people just simply doesn't cut the mustard. It's abhorrent. The, the, the government says that the explosion of complaints is because it is easier to complain since the new web complaint tool. Do either of you buy that, David? Uh, yeah, sure. There is a viability to that argument, mm. but that's cool. You've still got to do something about it, right? So, mm. yay, people have the mechanism to actually complain about their slavery conditions, but what are we actually doing about it to ensure that they're being treated like human beings? Yeah, Kate? Yeah, imagine turning up in a in a country and you don't have a job. You're expected to pay rent and and treat it in that way. It's uh, yeah, it's no good. And this is the this is the thing, isn't it? This this is happening, Kate. In twenty twenty three, you know, this is not this is not nineteen sixty three. Josh, are you with us? Uh, Earth calling, Josh. Kia Wallace, can you oh, hear me okay? Isn't it amazing, in the 21st century we're still having these sorts of technical issues? <laughs> Absolutely, and hey, a trusty hang-up-the-phone callback works well here. Oh, good, on. well, I'll tell you what, you are loud and clear. Now, you might have heard David and Kate there. Have you seen anything like this in your time as immigration advisor? In terms of the, I guess, severity of exploitation, yeah. it's quite shocking. Um, I have... You know, we've seen the occasional human trafficking uh, play out in the media and so on, but when it comes to a large number of individuals living in, you know, dire living conditions or crammed into a household, I would say this is fairly rare. I'm just looking at some of the uh, some of the examples. Josh are uh, quite well. 
that's just so sad and quite harrowing. Uh, one person was being paid $30 an hour required to meet the migrant work visa rules, but said his boss would go with him to an ATM and force him to give most of his wages back. That's happening in this country. It's a very good point, Wallace. So, yeah, as we see in the media, we hi- what's been highlighted at the moment tends to be the more severe levels of exploitation. But if you think about the lower levels, which are probably quite common as well, you know, working for more hours than what your contract states or under the table cashback, like you just okay. explained, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if they are happening. One advisor, Josh, said that the root cause is when we are attaching and bonding migrant workers to a single employer. What do you make of that? Yes, I, I partially agree with that. Um, obviously, this the, this work visa is also tied to a median wage, currently $29.66 per hour. Um, you know, that's quite high to pay a lot of these roles, which ordinarily probably before before the median wage came into effect, we're getting paid around the 24, if not similar to minimum wage. Um, and that's obviously driving bad behaviours, in my opinion, as well. OK, around the panel, Kate. Josh, how many staff do you think we need to deal with this? Seven doesn't sound like enough. What do you think it needs? Yeah, that's a good point. And I was thinking about how could how could this potentially be addressed. So I'm... Um, the seven, I presume, are processing stuff, and my guess is that immigration has they've approved something around the twenty-eight thousand or twenty-eight and a half thousand accredited employer mark, and so they've probably estimated that you know incoming volumes will drop off, and therefore they're going to repurpose resources elsewhere because there's obviously competing timeliness issues in other visa products. Um, hard to put a figure on it, but maybe the the way they could do it is they could. You know, resource up in the compliance space where they're doing where they're doing what they call post decision accreditation checks to, to ensure companies are compliant with their undertakings. And I was just having a look, and to date, I've received something like 870 complaints about accredited employers, and I've got 207 active investigations underway. So it appears they're using a triage model too because of obviously resource constraints. David. Yeah, I think your point around the bonded employership is a really strong one, Wallace, because it creates such a horrific power imbalance between these people that are being exploited where they probably live under fear of if they complain they're going to lose their job and then consequently lose their lose their visa. And so I think that's probably the first thing that needs right. to change. I'm not sure I'm I'm sold on the argument that higher wages drives these awful sorts of behaviour. That, that opens a can of worms I don't think we want to go down. But yeah, I, that would be the first change I'd be making would be to take away this bonded em- employeeship. Josh? Yes, sir. I, I do see where the argument is coming from. Also, obviously, the employer, you know, a good employer deserves some sort of protection when, they're, when they invest thousands of dollars into, you know, training and also paying flights for these migrant workers to come over to New Zealand. And if they had an open work visa or were able to move around between accredited employers that easily, you know, that they could be stand, could stand to lose. And Yes, there are a few bad apples, and should all should all employers be punished as a result? I'd like to yeah, know. But so, hang on. No, the inverse of that also rings true, though, because if you're a good employer, then you're going to keep your staff. So there would be an incentive to actually pay well and have good working conditions. And your suggestion here is that if you, a bad apple employee is going to ruin it for every other uh, person who's coming in on a working visa. 870 complaints indicates there's uh, quite a few bad apples there.
Yes, and yeah, there's nothing we can argue this both ways, to be completely honest. And there are there are people who may leave for an extra 20 cents or 50 cents per hour um, down the road and so on too. So, yeah, there is, like you say, there are pros and cons to both just, arguments. Just finally, Josh, the, the situation right now is clearly unsustainable. You know, it's quite, uh, one, one could see it as quite a black mark on this country, sort of situation that's happening. What, in your experience as an immigration advisor, will help clean the sector up? Yes, yeah, so obviously we should be able to, we should, you know, there should be flags or triggers or factors that we should be looking for as advisors when we're helping. Um, you know, there's times where, you know, it's hard to actually tell. Um, yes, we as an industry probably could do more as well. Um, whether that is enforced on us is something else, but yeah. Very good, Josh, and thanks for your uh, time. That's you, uh, Immigration Director and Immigration Advisor, Josh Kennedy there. We have Kate Dutworth and David Cormack on the panel. And to this, around 30 universities and politics held stop work meetings end of last week across the country today to highlight the politicians how much they're struggling financially. Otago, Massey, Victoria Universities, or proposing job cuts to cope with large deficits. Vic University faces a $33 million shortfall and 260 jobs facing the axe. Nearly 80 staff have already taken voluntary redundancy. So early this week, staff will hear what jobs will be gone from Victoria. With us is TEU National Secretary, the Tertiary Education Union. That is Dr Sandra Gray. Kia ora, Dr Gray. Good afternoon. It's been quite the year of tertiary terminal, has it not, Sandra? How did it all start? Give us an explainer. Look, we've seen basically 20 years, almost 30 years of underfunding in our sector, and staff really have had enough. They've patched over the gap for years and years and years. Um, and it started well back in October of last year when university staff went on strike uh, because their pay wasn't keeping up. But now they uh, have seen a bill report which shows the funding of the sector overall isn't keeping up with what's happening internationally and we are well behind countries uh, that we should be level pegged with in terms of putting investment into education. Kate? Yeah, well, this is a common story, isn't it? You know, the health sector, you, know, you name it, education. I'm really curious to see um, what what types of jobs are going to be cut and the results, what sort of courses are going to go or, or be funded even less than they already are. So I'll be watching this space. David? And we do know some, some of the big areas that are going already, and many of them are critical to New Zealand. We've seen theatre studies under threat at Vic. We've seen uh, a whole range of smaller courses, languages under threat. Um, but it is across the board. And I am going to say we've also seen large cuts to administrative staff. And this week, of course, Tupukinga, uh, the vocational provider, will announce uh, job cuts. They had proposed 500 jobs going out of that sector. So it is huge. All right, David. Yeah, it's grim, eh? Like, every sector is facing these strains, and so we probably need to look at the way in which we are funding, you know, everything. I mean, the strongest way to get people out of poverty is through education, and so that should be a really main priority for us. Uh, So, I don't know, broadening the tax base so we're bringing in more money so that we can fund these institutions properly, because if you cut out the arts and and languages, pretty soon you're going to run out of things to read and write about. 
And look, we do understand that other sectors' health uh, has been under squeeze as well. Uh, but when you look at total public expenditure in New Zealand on public services like health and education, um, the increase in, uh, well, since 2015 to 2019 was about 20%. But for education, it was nowhere near that. We only increased our funding in tertiary education by 1.9%. So other sectors got 20%. We got less than 2% increase in funding for tertiary education. And that's why has the, the um, had seen crisis. Sorry to cut you off. Has the fees-free thing um, impacted it negatively, the, the first year free? Uh, no, not in terms of uh, our education system overall and in terms of access and equality and, as you said, that the idea that we can lift New Zealand if people get an education, it's a great thing from our members' perspective that students, uh, well, they should be able to study for free. I, I think the big thing is we've had successive governments um, and in particular national governments seeing education as um, something they can make money out of rather than something they invest in. Yeah. And we need to get back to that. Sandra, there was that government bailout uh, for New Zealand universities at a cost to the taxpayer of $128 million over two years. That was announced in June, additional to the 5% increase provided you know, at the budget. Um, won't that allay uh, any issues? It's a significant, well, significant that, that, uh, injection of cash there, Sandra. It, it, look, and, and certainly um, in the last year, Labor has come forward with more investment into tertiary education uh, than in past years. It's heading in the right direction, but it doesn't actually plug the gap. We are about 25% lower than countries like Canada, just, the OECD nations, the United Kingdom. So there's a big gap to make up. And they have announced a funding review, but we have to get back to basics. What's education for? Why do we need it? Who should be getting in our education system? And then we talk about how much it should cost. Um, and, you know, unions don't shy away from saying that we all need to put our money into tertiary education. And that is about our tax base. Okay, so finally, this week, what's going to happen? What can you anticipate happening? Look, I am uh, hoping, because I, I am hopeful, our members have put up a really strong argument, both into Pukinga and at Victoria University, that the cuts were too deep, too savage. Any job going is too savage from a union perspective. Um, I am hoping that we see um, that that money that Labor handed over has made a difference and that we don't see hundreds of jobs going. Um, it would be good if there were none, but even if we can reduce it from hundreds to tens, uh, that would be significant for the members of this union. We will keep abreast of that this week, Sandra, uh, and see what uh, will happen. Kia ora for your time. That's Dr Sandra Gray there, the uh, Tertiary Education Union National Secretary, 26 past four. Someone says, a good conversation about immigration. I have a Chinese friend in Wellington who every two weeks is forced to hand $600 to his employer as a management fee for his visa. He won't complain as his visa is tied to the employer, yet his skills are universally sought. Well, um, our question of the day was, or is this, what piece of political memorabilia do you have stored away? Could it be a values party pin, a social credit badge, a McGillagutty serious party sticker? And gosh, we've had some wonderful, wonderful responses. And for that, I thank you. With us now is Ian. Kia ora, Ian. Kia ora, Wallace. What do you have stored away, tucked away uh, there? 
Well, um, I was overseas in um, about 1987, touring around uh, Malaysia and Singapore and stuff, and I got talking to a lot of German and Dutch backpackers, and they all commented about how wonderful New Zealand's anti-nuclear stance was. So when I got home, I wrote to David Long, and I received a reply. And uh, I have it in front of me. I could read it to you if you like. It's quite short. Go on. Okay. So thank you for your warm letter of support for the government's non-nuclear policies. I've been pleased to receive numbers of letters such as yours from persons who have travelled overseas. My colleagues and I am encouraged that there is such a positive reaction among so many people worldwide to our stance. I appreciated your letter. Yours sincerely, David Longley, signed in a fountain pen. That's... (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool, David. Yeah, 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 it's good. I, I was I was surprised that I got a reply. David but, um, Cormac, do you have anything in your cupboard? No, actually, I Kate? don't. Yes, I'm going to one-up David here. I have a letter from Chester Burroughs congratulating me on some milestone in my legal career. So when I first saw oh. this topic, I thought, I don't have anything. And then it came back to me, the letter from Chester Burroughs. What, the late Chester Burroughs, what a nice touch. That's so cool. Actually, I, do, I just thought that reminded me because I interned for Sir Speaking Bill. Speaking of one-upmanship. Yeah, that's right. This has turned into a pissing contest. Sorry. I interned for Sir Bill English, and he wrote me a reference that has a big old spelling mistake in the second word. Uh, but it was a pretty powerful reference to chuck around when I was job hunting. That's so cool. Awesome. Chester Burroughs, Big Lynch there, uh, references and letters there. Ian, that's a keeper. That could go into a museum one day. Well, yeah, possibly. At the moment, it's on top of the, my stereo along with my selfie with Jacinda. Wonderful, Ian. All right, thank you for that. And okay. let's go to Ototahi and Matthew is with us. Matthew, welcome. Kia ora, Wallace. Yeah, what do you have? Uh, I have a, a pin um, which says support the tour. Um, this is the 1982 Springbok, uh, 1982 Springbok 81? tour. 81, sorry, yes. And it simply yes. says support the tour. S- support the tour, yes. And it, it came from an old gentleman's estate and I... I I liked it as soon as I saw it. Um, I wonder if it should be in Tapapa, actually. It's one I, of those sort of, you know, it's one of those things that's on the wrong side of history. I, yeah, I was going to say, that's a bold statement to make on the radio that you've got to support yeah. the tour badge. <laughs> I oh. thought it was going to be stop the tour. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we got you on, Matthew. It was fascinating because I wasn't, I, I, you know, I was very young back then. I didn't know that there were big uh, support the tour pins around, but it's a reminder of just how divisive it was, Matthew. Absolutely, and uh, the, the old gentleman who was was very much a rugby fan and and, and didn't care less about the politics. Uh, so all he wanted to see was a, a, a tour between South Africa and um, and the All Blacks. So oh, it, it, I'd it, love to know who was selling those and what they were fundraising for. I would too. I don't know anything about it apart from, apart from it is what it is. Uh, I don't know where he got it. I, I, you know, I, I just knew it um, related to the Springbok tour. Hey, Matthew, Hopefully it um, wasn't the rugby union. Yeah, Matthew, can you, can I ask you to send me a picture of it and send it to my email address? Because I, um, I, I'd love to have a look at it. Uh, I, I'm have to dig it out. Yes. Um, all my stuff's in storage at the oh, moment. Don't so worry I, about it. No. Well, I mean, it's it's fine. I, I've got sort of broad uh, idea of, of where it is, but um, it's fascinating. It's just, yeah, yeah, it, it is fascinating. I've never never seen one like it. Uh, you know, I didn't didn't know they had them. 
Uh, and yeah, I, I, I like it. Nice one, nice one, not, Matthew. Not, not, I, don't, I don't like it no, for its uh, political sentiment. I like <laughs> it just because of its rarity. <laughs> just to clarify. Sure. Okay, Matthew. Good on you. Thanks for listening. That's uh, isn't that interesting? Got a bit of social history there. Uh, Liz in Golden Bay says, "I have a values party manifesto titled." Beyond Tomorrow. Wonderful stuff. Keep them coming. And we have one more for you uh, in the next half hour.